Hey there, it's Alan Hocko, and you're listening to Tobin Tonight. Alan, I guess the really first thing I want to ask you is, I, I know Newfoundlanders. I'm a Newfoundlander myself, but I always thought that you were like born and raised in the ghouls like myself, but you were actually born in Belle Island, but moved when you were younger. Yeah. So the thing there is my old man, who's no longer with us, as uh, Belle Island. I was, bo- I, I was born in St. Clair's, right? We left Belle Island when I was three. So I grew up in the ghouls and I've always, I always was like, I'm from the ghouls. And then my dad used to lose it at me and be like, you didn't mention Bell Island, Bell Island, Bell Island, Bell Island. So then I had to always say, well, I was born in Bell Island, grew up in the ghouls. And then uh, it looks like I'm pretending to be uh, grown up from Bell Island. But at the same time, the Bell Island people see me as a Bell Islander. So I don't know. I'm a, I grew up in the ghouls. I grew up yeah. from the age of three to when I left the ghouls. I, I feel like that's fair because I grew up in the ghouls, but now I live in Whitless Bay. So I feel like at some point, if you ever became like known throughout Canada, I feel like there's people in the ghouls. They're like, no, we're claiming them. But then there's people like, hey, his podcast was from Whitless Bay. So technically, don't we get Is to it claim it? Yeah. 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 I'm sure the ghouls people were glad to be rid of me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to ask, like, because I know. I, I went to Mon to do communications, but then I went to Carlton to finish communications because it was only starting. Uh, I believe you went to Mon for business, but you didn't pursue business. Then you went into acting. But like, what made you think business? Like, was it just something that you thought? Because I know Rick Mercer makes the joke. Now, this is years ago on the Rick Mercer report where it's like, we all go to Mon or Kona. But like, what are you doing at Mon? It's like, I'm just here. Uh, was that your kind of approach to it? It was like, I got to go to Mon for something. Let's try business. Yeah. And the, my mother was a real advocate, my father too, to drive us into secondary education, you know, and to keep pushing yourself so that you were, you know, my father always was used to say to me that you have to do a job that you enjoy. And I don't think I, I could see acting as a real profession for some reason, growing up in the ghouls, I was very much a part of like, I worked at Big Goods, you know, and I worked at Big Goods from age 13 to like 18. And I uh, like I saw my I saw the people I was exposed to followed a certain path. You know, they would go even though my brother was a musician and an artist. The people that I was around seemed to go from high school to university. And what about you do in university? And I don't know why I chose business. I have no concept of it now. Like. I was terrible at it. And I guess in a way I became like a business person. Well, I am, I guess, as a producer, but uh, my passions were somewhere driven in there, but it really, it was a huge mistake. I lasted like one semester and it was like, bye. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. I was going to say like, you know, cause obviously it's the old school approach, I guess, in terms of getting an education to get whatever your career is. And I kind of follow that in the same sense as it's like, People can take a lot away from you, but they can't take something away that you earn. So if you have a degree in whatever, it's not like they can come back two years and say, we're actually going to take that back from you. It's like you have it. That's why you have it because you studied for it. But I yeah. I guess your mom being, I'll call them like an ex-nun slash elementary school teacher, that had to be a little bit like when she's telling you, hey, come on, figure something out. Was it like in your household was like, come on, Alan figure something out or I'm going to bring out the ruler. (laughs) I know she's, she's the sweetest. She's really um, kind, sweet. You just didn't want to disappoint her. You know what I mean? You wanted to make sure that she felt like you were all right. That was more the driver than, than her authoritarian iron fist. No, she had none of that. No, she was, I mean, she had it. She, it was four of us. So like, um, she had to have it if there's four. I mean, you've got, you're the youngest, but I feel like the youngest maybe gets the, not as much of it. I have free pass, man. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Have you like now with the, I know you have one older brother, two older sisters. So I I guess you don't get the sisters hand-me-downs as much, but like, were you like, (laughs) I know from having two older brothers, you get hand-me-downs at some, but you're looking at going, why are you giving me this? Like, I'm not a fan of San Jose Sharks. Why do I care about a balloon <laughs> jersey? But then you grow to appreciate it in time. But like, were there hand-me-downs, I guess, that you're like, oh, man, this is like pretty cool? 
Yeah, my brother and I used to rip each other's clothes off, and I used to try to wear his leather jacket or whatever, and uh, I wore his leather jacket a lot. And then, and then we got to the age when we moved to Montreal. I went to theater school in Montreal, and he went to McGill. And we were at the same time, and we lived together. He used to rob all of my. He still had like I keep thinking I'm like where's that shirt I was like fuck yeah. my brother stole that shirt yeah so we did a bit of that and hand me downs in terms of hockey gear right like when oh, I yeah. first started I, the kids in in minor hockey used to call me Johnny Bauer because I had my grandfather's I started with my grandfather's skates or my dad maybe they were my grandfather's but they did have the edge on the edge they were like the hockey sweater skates I used to get it from my well Paul my middle brother. I used to like, I wasn't really into hockey when I was younger, but when I got older and started like really liking it, I used to borrow his gear. He didn't care if I borrowed the helmet, the pants, whatever, but he had like the graphite skates that were like custom made kind of for his foot. And I remember like two or three times on like Sunday night hockey, just uh, bringing him back home and he'd be like, you are ruining my skates. I'm like, man, like no one's touching me on the ice because I suck. And he's like, no, but your foot, it's like, it's ruined. And I'm like, okay, I got to go out and get my own pair of skates. But it's to the point where I'm like, man, I, I only play this once a week. You're playing it all the time. So whose foot do you really think is impacting it's it? Holding more? it. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but they are so specific now. Like you can get, you can get them made right to your foot. Like, which I only imagine would be, uh, and even the ones that you get that are store-bought, they can bake them to your feet. It's pretty, yeah. so I can see it being uncomfortable to wear another person's skate. I have yeah. been, been lucky not to have to do that. It's funny because when you go back and look at like just say the videos, I'm sure there's videos now of children playing hockey that their phone or like their parents take it on an iPhone. And like when they look back years later, you're going to be like, man, like you had this Toronto jersey, pants, everything great. But like you go back and look at footage of just say yourself, Sean, Paul, and it's like a, a San Jose Patfaloon jersey, a white I call it arthritis. I call him arthritis, Arbe, but like that kind of helmet. And it's just like he's not even goalie. He's out there playing yeah. with like and like yeah. the yeah. mitts, like nothing matched. But it's like yeah. who cares? But yeah, I know. I want to ask because when you said now you went to Mon for Business, how did you end up going into the like the acting side? Like at what point did you have this? I guess epiphany or because you know there is a fear of failure. I think that's just normal when you're going into anything. But at what point did you really say, this is what I want to do. I'm going for it. Well, my brother was a big influence and my two sisters as well. My brother was in music, right? So he went to Mun and did music at Mun. And uh, so that was like, oh shit, you can go be, you can be in music. Okay, right. Well, that's definitely somewhere my brain was sitting. And in high school, I was doing theater with Tony Dauphiné was our our, our drama teacher. Right. Yeah, and he was like, Tony. yeah, yeah. Yeah. To the duff. And he kind of had brought so many of us into it. And it's funny when I look back, all the people from the ghouls who were, who are today running the arts community of Canada and Newfoundland and, you know, or at least integral parts. Like I didn't for some reason see it as real when I was there, when I graduated from high school and I had to go to night school because I flunked. I didn't flunk math, but I was didn't get enough higher grade to for my average to be high enough to get in the month. So I had to go do that. And I was working at Big Goods, and I got fired from Big Goods because I was terrible at it because I was like I'm in a management position. You know? <laughs> yeah. And and uh, and I went got in the month, and then I, 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 I ran into Jillian Kylie in the TS the old TSC. And Jill used to go with my brother, and then he, she was like running. She's from the Ghouls, and she's running artistic fraud this big young person theater company with robert chafe and and uh, she, she sat me down and kind of gave me a list of people to talk to literally wrote them all out on a piece of paper and i called them all like daniel irvine and Eden flynn and these people and once i got in indoctrinated into the the yeah. cult of the theater it was like this is it i can't do i don't care and the fear of failure and all that shit is all it's constant it never goes away oh I'm, but it's yeah you know but it's like I cannot do anything other than this. And when people ask me about getting in the business or whatever, my uh, number one point is if you can imagine yourself doing anything else and be happy, do that because this is misery, pure misery in one way or another filled with joy and excitement. If you, I can't see my, I couldn't see myself from day one going, I was like, I can't do anything else. This is it. That's how I feel about podcasting when it's like filled with joy, misery, 
but if you like it you'll you'll continue to do it because they yeah, like, yeah. Now, like you know like i i'm sure from like the, the standpoint of when you were looking for roles or emailing or i guess depending on the time frame emailing or sending out demos yeah, yeah. it's almost like the amount of rejections you get to one acceptance and we have like young musicians on like quote the raven and stuff too because the whole ecmas and music and l awards and they'll tell you the same thing like it we're in a world where social media takes you want to present yourself the best you can on social media even yeah. though it's hard to do but i'm like i'm like the counterpoint where it's like what you see is what you get so i'm like if if you're sending out resumes or requests for stuff and people are saying like no they're not free no they're not free i'm like there's a part of you that you're obviously like, like, oh, I'm so happy that they said no. Like, no, you're probably mad they said no and a little bit frustrated. But social media is like, we don't want to hear that. I'm like, all right, cool. But there are other times where it's like social media is like, tell me he's not like this all the time. It's like, no, he's not. He's not like this all the time. The, it, it, the, truth, I, the yeah. truth of it. Yeah, yeah. And we, you know, to this day, rejection is like nine to one if I'm being lucky, if you're lucky, you know. And it's like it doesn't go away no matter where you are in the game. Yeah. You know, you look at people like Tom Cruise and I'm guessing, you know, yeah. like what do they have to do to stay on top? Like how it's there's always someone there to replace you and you're you're it's evolving and you have to move and move down or move forward or laterally. It can be miserable if you let it. For me, the idea that I'm able to work on projects that I'm passionate about is like it's where it's at. It's the only thing that I'm that I can focus on. And, and when you don't get to do it, it's real hard. And you just kind of got to find your way through it and remember like, well, what you did yesterday is, is, is done. You know, it's like, it's over. It's like, it doesn't matter anymore. It's like, what are you doing now? What, what, what's your next thing? You know, what's your next passion? I, I kind of want to ask you this, not in a, in a kind of a humorous way, but I'm sure when people interview you or discuss things with you, they're all about, Republic of Doyle. So I feel like this is going to be a fresh approach to you. Maybe you'll be a little bit insulted, but hopefully you take it the, the nicer way where I don't think I've watched a lot of Republic of Doyle, but I enjoyed, I think my first time seeing you and someone actually pointing out that I think it was my brother pointed out like, oh yeah, like he grew up across the street from us or just up the buck was in uh, a great big C video. And I was, oh, like, yeah. I was like, oh, that's cool. That's interesting. So you're telling me that we don't have to like necessarily be boring people. Like we can actually be in great big C videos. And at the time yeah, I was yeah. like, that's got to be like the highest achievement ever to be in a great big C video. Um, it was. Yeah. yeah. 100%. But 100%. Like, I, I, I can't remember the song per se, but I know like as a kid. Clear syndication. There you Clear go. Syndic and, yeah. and, and as a kid hearing this, the lyric of like the silence was the loudest thing I ever heard. I was sitting there and I'm like, that's pretty stupid. How can silence be goddamn loud? But then when you get right. older, you're like, oh, that's so deep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. seeing the video and I think <laughs> if, if it's not for you and not Great Big C, I don't think uh, myself, I'll speak for myself, but uh, I think one of the shirts you have was like a Republic of Newfoundland shirt. A Repub and like it was just like the flag kind of symbol here on the here and then the flag on the back. And I was like, man, those must have went through the roof after that video was released where people were like, wait it's cool to have a Republic of Newfoundland shirt. We don't have to have the blue, white, and red. We can go back to that. And I'm like, yeah, you can, I guess. <laughs> yeah. My separatist ears. Yeah. Like I like that. And I liked actually, so most recently we've had a few on from Hudson and Rex to interview. And yeah. I mentioned it to Justin Kelly. And I said, if I ever have Alan on, I will mention it to him. But he was talking about, he's like, yeah, it's like a, one of Alan's things when he wanted to come in was he had to wear the leather jacket. Leather jacket is Alan. I'm just like, yeah, that's I can see that. That's not true at all. That's not true at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The guy I feel like wrote... that was the budget. They were like, in order to get Alan, we've got him confirmed for the thing, but he wanted to know if he could wear his leather jacket. I'm like, what yeah, of course. Asshole. He has to have the leather jacket. <laughs> no, they. the guys who wrote that used to write on Doyle, and I felt like yeah. it was a joke at me because yeah. like, I knock a guy out and take his leather jacket because I'm breaking out of jail in that show. And I died laughing when I read the script. That's funny. No, uh, yeah. yeah, no, it was fun. That's like the, the, so again, with Republic of Doyle, I know we'll, we'll discuss it, but that's the two things that really stand out. So I feel like there's a part of you that's like, again, trying to read your mind, but it's like, really? Like, that's what you remember me for. I'm like, yeah, but the Hudson and Rex episode, I remember getting into Justin and Mako about, it. I'm like, you had him on, you could have had him on as Jake Doyle, even Mary Welch. Like Brian, like that was like that show has been over for so long. That doesn't make sense. People wouldn't understand it. I'm like, 
all right, Mary, relax. Like I just just thrown out an idea, but yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting to do it down the road where you have this big episode where, you know, Hudson needs to call you back to like, it's a big story. And I'm like, I, I think I said that to Perry as a joke. And Perry was like, yeah, pitch that. I'm like, yeah, because they're going to listen to a 29 year old in a in a basement. Like, I got an idea for you. It's like, yeah, I got an idea for you, too. Here's a finger. And I'm like, great. <laughs> well, the the I'm not offended at all about not talking about like I, I yeah. it's all good. Like people say to me so often, like, well, you know, sorry, I don't. I didn't watch your, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't fucking care, man. I, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm just so grateful. Uh, I'm grateful for you. I don't understand. I started this business thinking tens of people would watch my work, yeah. you know, and I was uh, maybe hundreds or something, you know, and I'm good with that. Like you start off and you're doing theater and you're doing a play for two people, two people in the audience and you're like, you know, okay, well, this is how it goes. And you fight, you, you strive to do the best work you can do. And then, you know, in my case, it got bigger and the audience got bigger, but it, it's not really what it, I mean, I'm insanely grateful that people follow the work I'm doing, but it's not like, you know, you can't be from the ghouls and live in St. John's and walk around. Like you think you're something like, I mean, you can, I guess, but you'd be miserable. Like it's, you, a, you, you can't, I have to, I have to re-examine everything here. No, no. Well, you do you, you do you. I can't. Okay. Like it, I got to go play hockey every week. Right. I got to go to the grocery store and I got to see my friends and my neighbors. And I, I can't act like I am not where I actually am. Like yeah. you are where you are and people watch your material and they like your material. They identify with your material. Like I'm in Toronto right now. And you know, people are stopping me on the street in Toronto and they like my work and you're like, Oh shit, I forgot people. Like, Cause I live in a, in a bubble, right. Yeah. In Newfoundland, like where you just forget that the rest of the world is even out there. And then you go out into the world and you're like, Oh shit. Yeah. Let's we make an impact with the work we do. And it's a real gift. Right. And it's not just saying that that's like you, you expose yourself to the most people possible. They buy into what you're doing and it gives you an opportunity to keep doing it. That's the only way I look at it. And I'm grateful when, people watch any of my shit whether it's the great big c yeah. video or whatever you know yeah it's like i feel like there's a point in time that there's going to be like when that video ever comes out like great big c if they like you know if ntv just shows it because ntv's great for no longer showing the old videos yeah, yeah they just show and, uh, videos but it's like someone be like that guy looks familiar it's like oh yeah well that's him now and then they'll be like oh well that's interesting that's cool but yeah i was i was just blown away because like i said i i've watched hudson rex a few times as well but when i seen you in the episode i'm like oh I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how they portray him and then it's like this total like douchebag at the beginning but they like has a heart of gold kind of at the end where it's like oh it's all miscommunication but i was like man like a, it's like i kind of wanted the jake doyle character a little bit here but it wasn't there but i was like all right jake's, well maybe that's jake's yeah. gone baby jake's <laughs> yeah. gone <laughs> yeah I want to ask you, though, in returning to a little bit of the Republic of Doyle side, like how did that all kind of come to be? Because doing a little bit of the research, and I know I have cousins, uh, brothers, uh, friends that watched it. Even when I was at Carlton, there would be people that and this is kind of not in a mean way again, but just a way of like, I'm like, God damn it. When you're from Newfoundland, that's what they dignify or like identify you as. But you go up to someone be a girl, be a guy in your class, be like, Hey, I'm from Newfoundland. They'd be like, I love Republic of Doyle. I'm like, God damn it. Like we have more things than just Republic of Doyle and the sea, like get to, and then they'd be like, can you talk Newfie to me? I'm like, but in yeah, I, did, about- I went through all that same <laughs> shit too. Like it was the shipping news though. You know yeah. what I mean? And at least, at least Republic of Doyle was written by us and, yeah. and uh, you know, not nothing against Annie Peru, but I mean, Jesus. Yeah. The squid burgers and whatever of it all. It was drove me crazy. Yeah. How did that come to be created? Because, again, it, I believe doing the research, 90 odd countries seen it. One million views, I think, per week or like per episode on CBC. Yep. And, you know, people are still talking about it. You can still actually on Marketplace the other day on Amazon. People were still selling like DVDs of it. And they weren't like, you know, hey, get this for like two dollars. It was like this is a good episode or a good season. So you might want this. I'm like, I understand, but cool. Uh, cool. But like, tell me how that all kind of came to be. And just your takeaway from doing that, because I guess that's what people mostly know you for, but yeah, tell me a little bit more about that. So a big driver for me was what you were talking about when you were at Carlton, right? Like going somewhere in the perception of what we were. And uh, that really drove me crazy. 
And because we, we're so into our thing in Newfoundland and what we are and our, our identity, I guess. And I'm insanely passionate about it and always have been. And I was like, yeah, hang on now. That's not what, that's other people deciding what we were. And then there was Great Big C, you know, and Alan's like a lifetime friend. That Great Big C represented us in, in a way that I was insanely proud of. And there was, of course, the Codcos and, and the 22 Minutes and, and stuff. But then there was all the these other stuff uh, mostly manufactured by people from outside that talked about who we were and what we were drove me. So a lot of my time was spent obsessing over that and wanting to make art to represent a different version of what that was. And that's kind of where Doyle spawned from with the idea I had, I was doing like a play on Bell Island actually. And I had that idea and I remember calling my brother and telling him about it. And he was like, man, that's a cool idea. And then Daniel Irvine, who's a wonderful theater director, she runs the Cupid's Perchance Theater Festival there, works at Stratford and NTS. She let me use her computer and I wrote it all out in a document and I mailed it to myself. And then like, that was what you do, you know, for copyright or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then for, for years, I went in and did my thing. I went to school and the idea didn't go away. It got more intense. And then Perry Chafe and I started writing shit. We wrote a sitcom called Bad Goods, which was a, a situational workplace comedy set in Big Goods because he's from Petty Harbor, right? <laughs> we wrote another couple of things. And then I got into a situation where CBC and I were talking about doing various things. And Sally Caddo was the person in charge of uh, arts and entertainment, I guess. And uh, I just pitched her the idea. And then we started developing it and then it took off and then it landed, which is the big trick. You know, it's doing it is one thing, getting it made is impossible. Getting people to want to make it is impossible. And then getting people to watch it is like, holy shit. And they were watching it everywhere. Yeah. Like a million, you know, uh, a million plus viewers that we had one year where we, where we had really bad numbers and it, they moved us to Sunday nights and we were up against the Super Bowl and That's a killer. The, the Walking Dead uh, premiere was a 12 million Canadians or something. So we had dips, but we did manage to get it back to yeah. our million. And then they moved us back to Wednesdays. And then we were averaging like eight. I think it was season five. They moved us back. And then we were like eight. And then it crept up to a million again, which is pretty cool. I mean, it's hard to do that now. I mean, it's a different viewing landscape because it's, the streamers are just stream, starting. Yeah, It's yeah. more streaming. Like I find like I'm a big... Well, when I was younger, I was a big wrestling fan. And like, you know, when you were looking at WCW versus WWE, and then they're talking about a ratings war. It's like today with, say, AEW, WWE, it's kind of like not really a ratings war as much as like, okay, who streamed it at what time? And it's kind of like hard to really identify that to, to get numbers anyway. But I do think oh, it's yeah. interest, I do think it's interesting when you're talking about like, because I, I don't think I've mentioned this to anyone that we've had on in terms of like acting TV side, but when they say give you an email or send you a thing whatever it is to tell you that you're moving your time slot to a different day like what goes through your mind like do you do you kind of evaluate that yourself of like like are we not doing well are they trying to no. help us do well or like what's going we on we had a it was a conversation like we sat down discussed it i made my case uh, that i didn't want to move i didn't want to move because it it's consistency you know but they had their reasons for it because there was a show that was let that stopped in the U.S. that was kind of beating us in numbers, and it was on Sunday nights. And I knew we were doing well because our numbers were really doing really well. And they were trying to go for more. Yeah, it was an attempt to take in some new family audiences on Sundays. But I was I'm a big consistency person. Where I was like, ah, we're on Wednesday. Like the play, the country is the country's there. Like they're really there. Like let's not mess with them. And then people thought we were canceled. When you get consistency, that's what you want. Like, it's like, you know, when you're first starting any project, like the same with, I know with this podcast, it was almost like I would consistently post it. I'd say like 8 PM. And then I was like, you know what? Like I, I'm a big Conan fan. So then I started going at like 12 or midnight. Cause I'm like, who cares? At least it'll be out by the next day. So people can see it. But it, it's kind of like, a little bit of a story feel free to like just say like shut the fuck up when i'm done but like it was i believe when jimmy kimmel was starting his kind of late night show rain um jay leno had told him you can't go on at like 1205 one night 12 o'clock one night 1201 because you got to get an audience number one to watch and if they're turning on at 12 o'clock and you're not on they're just going to go all right he's not on tonight 
even though you could be on like five minutes later. So he said consistency is pretty much key. And I like how at the end of the whole realm, Jimmy Kimmel makes fun of Jay Leno for taking Conan's Tonight Show. But I'm like, the guy kind of helped you out there. He kind of told you to stop wearing like casual, just everyday shirt and tie or shirt and pants and told you to go put on a suit and shit. So I'm like, I get it. But I do agree with you in terms of like the consistency part, because even doing podcasting, it's like I put this up, I'd say at Wednesday at midnight. If not, it comes out Thursday, but at least it's there. But I feel like if you just said, yeah, we got an interview with Alan Hawko, it'll be up sometime, sometime this week. People are like, all right, well, I'm not going to count on you. I'm going to just do what I got to do and come and they'll back. They'll lose their train of yeah. thought. You know, yeah. like <laughs> it's interesting to streamers because that's all changed now. So intensely as we were talking about with the streamer stuff, but look at Apple. Yeah. Apple TV releases their new show comes Friday at 8 p.m. Like they're back, they're bringing back appointment television. HBO still consistently doing it through Crave and whatever. It's like the new episode drops at 4 p.m. on Thursday, whatever. It's like, yeah. huh, they're, because Netflix was dropping them, uh, Amazon was dropping them all as like one thing. And it's like they're pulling that back now. And they're now making an appointment television again, which I think is interesting to watch. But they're not tuning into the television. Yeah. They're tuning into the streamers, you know, the broadcast. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. It's it's interesting because like even if you say that like we're dropping at four p.m. on this day like I'm still I think it's still people have grown accustomed to like that's great you dropped it but that don't mean I'm gonna I'll get to it when I'm gonna see yeah it. yeah exactly and, yeah. and that's sometimes appealing too because there's a whole generation out there that if you go on like Instagram or Facebook and like I guess like memes that are made of like today's generation will never know how fast they had to run from the bathroom back to the TV when their brother yelled, it's back on. Now it's almost like, yeah, just pause it for me. God, like I'm in here in the bathroom and then you're you just can like, pause live yeah. hockey. <laughs> yeah. It's like you're pausing live hockey. It's like the craziest shit. I know it's wild. Well, they, like, they, they had commercials on the playoffs for hockey where they, um, I think it was like CBC and it could have been sports that where they bring someone in an audience and they show like an empty seat. I think it was like a, the one where Bobby Orr scores the overtime goal against St. Louis, but they pretend that the fan missed it because he went to the bathroom. And right. it's like the end of the commercial is like, where were you when this moment happened? Or it's like, I was at my nan's house and they didn't have a TV. So I ended up watching the fishbowl. And I'm like, there's a generation out there. Like, what do you mean? Couldn't you just pause it? And it's like, no, you missed it. You missed yeah. like Lemieux's goal of crazy Deeks between like the, the North Deeks yeah. defenders. But now it's almost like, hold on. Can you rewind that? Like, the perfect example, McDavid's or McDavid's. I was just going to say, my yeah. God, man, that yeah. moment is the greatest yeah. moment I've ever seen in hockey. And yeah. it's like, you just watch it and you're just like, how did he do that? Like how that moment where he comes out, turns around. He basically and- says, you know what? Screw you guys. I'm going back in. No one's helping me. Let me do it myself. <laughs> or he crossed over, you know, and he's like waiting for the guy to come off, come back onside. And he just saw the opening and it just, they just parted like the Red Sea. They just like were like, no one knew believed he was going to do it. And then uh, anyway, so the great like back back in the day, like you missed it. Watch we the missed replay. It. Now it's yeah. like I, I think I showed my parents the other night because I turned it off when it was like four one New York, and then right. I ended up watching it once I looked at the the score later that night and was like, wait, the Oilers went in in overtime. But I remember going back and I'm like, great, now I can go back and rewatch it. And I think I rewound it three or four times, but back then you wouldn't be able to. So it's like Everly's goal for Canada at the world juniors. I'm sure that's getting replayed all the time, but imagine in the moment, I think that goes, that would be my moment of television history where it was like, where were you when Everly did that? I'm like, Oh, I left the room. 
I went to check an email, and then when I came back, it was like scars tie game. Like, or I was out, I was out that night, or whatever. You know? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I left the room for three seconds, and I missed it. And then it's like, oh, yeah. you missed history. I'm like, oh, okay. Not to go all whatever old school, but there's something about that too, where it's like you get a choice to commit to follow something or decide I'm okay missing that thing and hearing about it for the rest of my life. I'm fine with that. Uh, You know, now it's like, there's just so many options. It's it's like you don't lose. It's like, I I think when I was, was we all have participation medals. Yeah. 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 It's like, I told my nephew the other day, we're playing a game of 21s outside and he wanted to do a granny shot because he's only like seven. And uh, his sister was like, all right, but if you do the granny shot, you don't like it doesn't count if it goes in or whatever and if you do the normal shot we'll count them like totally up to you this is your decision uh, like you're teaching them so young like hey this is life if you make the granny shot it's not going to count but if you I make forgot the about that shot, rule yeah, yeah if you make the normal rule. one it does and then he and yeah. he thought about it i'm like good he's actually thinking and then he went and did the normal shot it didn't go in but i'm like you took a chance and then that's great because if you had the granny shot and made it, you would have just lost your turn anyway. It wouldn't have counted. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah felt good I feel for like, a very short amount of time. But uh, yeah, I feel like today, today it would almost be like, okay, you did a granny shot, it went in, but I'm still going to give you the reshot because it didn't count. And yeah. it's like, great, my choices had no consequences. So um, maybe there's benefits to both sides, man. Uh, I want to ask you too now in getting a little bit off of the Republic of Doyle saw, but like I was interested when it first came out and I think I've watched a few episodes of it, but Cot, tell me a little bit more about Cot because I think judging by how you got excited for that, I'm assuming that this is something that you're very passionate about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate you watching it. It's my favorite thing I think that I might've made, but it, I mean, it's hard to say that, but it's uh, I love it. I'm very proud of it. And I was up here doing a, in Toronto doing a play and I had a meeting with E1. They're like the a Toronto film-based studio and they're a distribution company. And we had a deal with them and they, uh, Tekka Crosby gave me this book and it's Lisa's book. And funnily enough, Alan Doyle had pitched me the idea two years previous. And I was like, couldn't wrap my head around it because it, yeah. so it took, took, we were in the middle of Doyle and it took place on the ocean. And I was like, I can't even handle the idea of trying to do that. But I read it and I was like, this feels right right now like i feel what this is and yeah it just kind of it was also did really well and i I, it was critically received and it was i was really proud of that one it's real fun so like in our and in like comparing just say republic of doyle to cot like which one do you think because i feel like republic of doyle like it's almost like a learning experience in in the sense of i know when you're doing anything for the first time it's almost like okay you're trying to do your best, but you're learning things as you go. Like, were there things that you took from Doyle into Cot? Not like necessarily just say the TV or script side, but like you as a character, you as a person, like, all right, try this on Doyle, but now I'm a little bit better of it on Cot. Or like even certain ways of acting in a scene or whatever. Like, were there any moments like that between the two? A hundred percent. And so much and continuing and in everything. Yeah, if that's just a silly, like put it on uh, a shirt, Alan. Put it on a shirt and say, <laughs> yeah, 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 right. But like, never stop, never stop, never <laughs> stop being wrong, never stop learning, and and you know, just so much of the process of Doyle was like about urgency because time and the train is running, and you have sixteen episodes a season or thirteen episodes a season or whatever, and uh, you're writing and you're acting and you're producing and you're blah blah blah. So the like the notion that first off, it was an idea to it was a chance to make something more cable more dramatic less comedy which is probably more my hit is more in the comic world or at least the things i enjoy to do as a writer so i wanted to kind of explore getting deep into the passion of this story and the the intricacies of all of these relationships and the stakes of the prison break and all that shit. it was like but in an earnest way you know and it was fun to do that and then there's so much about the process too that was, that I feel we got to build upon. Like I think, arguably for many of us, the best experience in our professional careers making that show. And I and we just produced Son of a Critch, you know, Mark Critch's new show. And that was another shot at doing it, streamlining the things you learn and and how to make the process be the most enjoyable experience ever. And that's the big part of the goal for me too. Is like whatever project I'm doing is that it's a real it's a joy to do it. And you're, 
it's work, right? Really busy and it's really intense and, and you, you, you don't have a lot of time to live or think or yeah. whatever, which, which I, I don't have a problem with. I, I, I prefer that over not doing it, but uh, it's about the experience while you're doing it. And there's no reason why it shouldn't be a really enjoyable experience. And everybody should be enjoying it for feel fulfilled in their role from, you know, the, the assistant to the production assistant, to the, to the key of props, to the director of photography, to the lead actor, you know, or the director, it's like, everybody should be, you want the goal is to have everybody have the shared experience of like feeling like they're a part of something neat and special that I feel like the more you get to do, the more you get to be better at that. Or at least I strive to be anyway. It's, it's funny because when we were talking to Perry, now this was years ago, but I believe Perry, I, I, I could have my phrasing wrong here, but I believe the Republic of Doyle, when you mentioned earlier when people thought it was canceled because of the time movement, he even said like there was people that wanted to see like, I guess at the time, probably like one or two years after it was done, but they wanted to see a revival of it. Or even to this day, people are like, why don't they yeah. do it? But Perry was like very adamant to tell me like, hey, like we didn't get canceled. We just finished the show. I'm like, well, yeah, it's the Jerry Seinfeld approach. It's like it's like when you're interviewing Larry King and he's like, um, it's like, so that got and he, and he got like so mad. He's like, we were the number one show. It's like, what are you talking about, Larry? It's like, I closed it. And I'm like, I get it, Perry. Relax. But I want to ask you, like, in in closing it, like, what, what, when did that moment come to you that like, OK, we're finished. We're done. Uh, let's just wrap it up, because. A lot of shows go on and then they wait till like, I guess the audience kind of like drops down or like, okay, we're not getting the audience. Let's just clue it up. And then there's some people are like, we knew we were going this long and then we were going to finish this regardless what happens. So what, like, I guess was your mindset or approach? I mean, I look back now and go, well, we go, do we leave too early? You know? And then I remember how absolutely fried I was like, yeah. I don't think I had much gas left in the tank. I think that shows like that. Sometimes you give other people step up and take over larger creative roles. Or you bring people in maybe to help juice it. Maybe I would have done that, but I, I talked to the network, you know, and I was like, like, are we finished? you think? And we kind of like, we just kind of felt like maybe it's time to, maybe we shouldn't push for it to keep going. And that's kind of where, where it sat, you know, obviously me and the guys talked about it first. But in hindsight, I probably would have done that differently too. I probably would have, it was all, like you said earlier, you know, everything was first. You're learning and you're trying to do your best and you make, you drop some balls. And I think I might've pursued that a little bit differently. I might've, for example, talked to the cast about it and, yeah. you know, but I just didn't have time to focus on anything other than the fire that was in front of me. So now I would do it, I think with a much, with a different level of maturity, you know, Perry and I were on the same page, John, obviously, and Rob and I, we were like, okay, it's time to move on for us as a company. But yeah, I mean, it was a, I look back now and I'm like, there might've been more gas in the tank if, if we'd been able to take a break even, you know, or yeah, I'm not regretting it because I am moved on from it. Like it's like a lifetime ago, to be honest, to even think about it. Like I, I'm, I, I can't even like, it was no time. Like, yeah, there was no time to live at all, which is not the way to do it either. I don't mind working. I love working and I love working as much as I possibly can, but I mean, no time to yeah. sit for dinner. I it's like five times on the show. I went out and had dinner with people who showed up and were on the show like five. Oh, wow. Okay. Maybe seven. That's when you implement a dinner scene in the actual show and say like, yeah. listen guys, like this is my dinner, yeah. but we're also going to act so and that we can put it in the show. The problem there is it's too expensive to shoot a dinner scene <laughs> and food sets are too expensive. So you couldn't even do that. That's why we're all standing <laughs> drinking whiskey. I, I do think, no, like I like your answer there. Cause I, I look back at it and like, like you said, like Perry's version of it was more or less of like, Hey, the characters were developed. They had reached their, their point. Like this person has grown up, ended up getting like, I guess it was like married or had his wife or engaged, whatever it was, but it's like, you see them progress. And I get that because when you watch, and I feel like you're going to be like, well, that's a that's a good comparison or like, I can't believe you're comparing me to this. But like when you're watching something like my favorite show is like Big Bang Theory, How I Met Your Mother or like even Boy Meets World. Like I know that's a little bit more dated, but like yeah. they did have to eventually wrap up and 
it, they wrapped it up nicely. Like people argue against the how I met your mother way, whatever. But like, there's no way that you could like, I, I kind of give boy meets world credit because you watch Corey from when he was small all the way up until he's like a teenager. Now he's off to university, but like, what else can you do? Like once they're off to university, you built that audience with them. And it's not like me as a 20, well, I was younger, but if I had to stay with the show per se, I'm in university. I'm like, I don't give a shit now what Corey's career is because I'm also with a career. So like, yeah, 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 exactly. Right. Like I'm not watching it as an adult being like, remember when I was eight and Corey was eight and now we're both adults. Oh my God. Like, it's so nice that me and Corey are on the same path. It's like, no, I watched it. These kinds of shows you, you can regenerate. We we had so much personal arc in our show that it, it kind of hammed us as Perry would have said to you, you know, the, we did live the care. We let the characters go to the place where we felt like we've explored the most realistic ways we can grow with these people. But there were ways we could have probably reimagined, but we were just fried. Like I feel like creatively fried. We just felt like we didn't want to be, I think Sally Caddo put it best in, in her response to it in the media was like, no one wants to be the last person at the party. And that's kind of the way we approached it. It's like, let's just, Let's leave when we leave, and on the, on, the, on the note that we left at, I'm super proud of. No regrets there, but I, I would definitely do it differently. Like, and yeah. there's, you know, there's a business model there too. There was a hundred people that needed work, and it was like shit. It's a real pressure on your brain too, you know. When yeah. You're not- I, I I think it's funny because I remember being at Mun, and there was people in my communications class, and I think they ended up being like extras and in like Republic of Doyle or I guess in some cases caught because I think some of them went on to do that as well. But like I laugh at it because I'm just like in a communications class and it's like, yeah, I got my paper done because like later tonight I'm filming with Republic of Doyle. And like you kind of peek up and turn around and be like, oh, cool. Like you think that they'd be like a big person on the thing. It's like, oh, yeah, no, we just play background. And like, again, talking about growing up and then realizing things like I was just like, yeah, it's just a measly background actor, whatever, like not to their face, but just like, all right. But then like that's kind of a foot in the door for you. Cause I know like now with Hudson and Rex and like, again, they have a casting agency like on Facebook and like, you'll be like, Oh, like I don't think I'm ready to go like a big role, but like, yeah, give me something in the background that I can just be there. Cause like you're trying to take every aspect of opportunity that's presented here. You you learn my first jobs, you know, I had a one, one, one line part on mute next, the TV. (laughs) I spent my entire day and night shooting, watching, everything that was going on, not in my trailer. I was basically a glorified background performer, but you can take those opportunities. And also the background community in Newfoundland are really, you know, they're tight and they're, yeah. they're really good. And that's a real skill set. And it's, it's, you know, they were all brand new when we started Doyle. And there's like, I see them all now going through a posting on Instagram because you're friends with a load of them. And yeah. you, you watch everybody posting their Hudson and Rex stuff. And it's like, they get paid well too. Like it's a good side hustle for a community and that was a, one of my favorite, it still is one of my favorite things about producing shows in Newfoundland is that like we're providing like real, real time intense employment, right? And, and sometimes it's funny, like, cause I guess, cause I know we had, um, so I don't know if you would know him, but like Jay Malone, which is like a comedian from Nova Scotia, he was on like Just for Last, but he was saying when he went to LA to try to get his comedy career, his agent was kind of like, well, here's some like side parts and like shows that you can be in. And I think it was like NYPD and he had to pretend to be dead. And then, like, they said, we want to see dead in your eyes. And he was like, I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about, dead in my eyes. And I'm just like, that has to be kind of confusing because you know what they're doing. They're imagining what is in their mind of, like, I know how this is supposed to be presented. But, like, you're dead. Like, now you have to act dead. It's like, act dead in your eyes. And I'm just like, yeah, that would be frustrating as a background Afterwards, like act surprised, but not too surprised. Like almost like you're surprised that this happens, but it's not the worst shocking thing in the world. I'm like, there's no in between. I'm either surprised or I'm not surprised. It's hard one for me. It's hard work (laughs) watching you. You watch uh, movies and you look at background performers and you're like, "Hmm, those two people look like they're the people who should be sitting at that table. And it's it's that's it's not easy. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah, it's I, like it's I, like watching I, or rewatching Columbo, like because they have old shows on TV. But like you, you're there watching Columbo for the investigative stuff. But then you realize that there's background actors that are sitting there pretending to have a meal. And in my mind, I'm like, they're definitely just having conversations. Like, how did you get this role in the show? Oh my god, I can't believe! And then it's just like, you don't know that. So they have to do it like this. 
<laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then at, at the end, it's like, why are you two laughing in the background? It's like, because this is so silly that we're talking, but we're not actually talking. But yeah. yeah. Well, that's it. You buy into it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there would be people mad if I didn't mention this, but of course, I, I believe it's on Amazon. I'm just going to look here. Like, uh, yes, you played Coyote. Is it Coyote? Coyote. Yeah. Coyote in like Jack Ryan. But I was just like, in my mind, I'm like, he kind of reminds me of a Jack Ryan character anyway in Republic of Duel, but I guess you versus John for the main role, they'd be like, listen, it's not gonna it's not gonna work. It's like, but I could play him. It's like we'll do a Newfoundland version and you can play him in that one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. tell me a little bit about that, because I mean you get to work with some major people in this. And ha- I, I I guess like a side question to all that would be like, did you ever get to talk to john the guy who plays this role and like be like hey not like picky's brain but almost just like hey like i liked your work or he liked your work or that we were together the whole shoot you know because we were we were there uh we were all living in the same hotel and having dinner and shooting and working and he was uh, very busy obviously wendell uh spent a lot of time with all these guys it was like that's about how it goes on a set normally anyway and uh because you're you're living and breathing the the material and the time, and you know, unless you're a dick, like uh, uh, you usually end up just kind of chilling and hanging out together. And I made some great, great friends on that shoot, actually, really oh, great. Wow. Okay. Uh, did you did you ever go to him and be like, I don't know if you ever did, but like, did you ever watch The Office or like, you know, when he starts talking to you, did you ever like? I, I think it would be like a dick way to do it, but you know, you never know what people's sense of humor was. As soon as he started talking, just like turn to a side camera and like. Oh, it would have been. I, I would have done it, but then he would have been like, "Can you get this guy off this yeah, shoot? Yeah, yeah. Like, we've only filmed like one, yeah. one thing with him." Yeah, the, the the train is so expensive for that show. Like, <laughs> but yeah, like our friends, you know, when we'd be sitting around, uh, uh, we talked about all that shit. Like, you know, no one's no. He's certainly not too big for his uh, bridges, bridges, bridges. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, no, he's a great guy and open to. We talked all kinds of shit and. Uh, he was very generous and uh, very, he's a really good actor, generous producer. He took all that stuff real seriously. And um, the whole cast did like there, you know, there's a lot of real heavy hitters in that show and everybody who showed up was happy to be there. And, you know, it was tough. We were doing a lot of night shoots in, in the, in the Colombian woods, you know, late at night. And that's kind of freaky. And uh, uh, all the, the wildlife that goes with it and all that kind of stuff. But it was really cool. It was really, really great experience. Like I love, it's one of my favorite things about this job is going places, doing meeting interesting people and doing great work, obviously, but uh, the experience is part of it too. I feel like some of like the, I guess the well-known actors that you kind of like in Hollywood or in general that people like, like their backstory when you really go into it is interesting because I know, say, like, Matt LeBlanc is one that people like on Friends, obviously. Like, and, and a lot of them are interesting because, like, just when you go into their background, I think John's situation was he had told his mom right before he got the office. He's like, I'm, I'm coming home. This isn't for me. And then he lands the office. And same with, like, Ma, uh, Matt LeBlanc's, like, mother told him, like, it's not working for you. Like, you know, come home. And then he ends up getting on Friends. So it's, like, it's interesting where it's almost, like, at the very end point – and then they go on to, you know, get the role that they do. Like, I believe lately they had like Paul Rudd is like the sexiest man alive. I don't know. I don't know how you end up losing it. Like, I feel like last year's winner is like, what did I do? What did I gain a pound? Did I grow something and you did not like it? But it's Hollywood. So it's pretty vain, I guess. But I like that Paul Rudd's been around forever and it, he was kind of like underappreciated. And now people are like, oh, yeah, I, I like that film. I didn't know he was in that. And I'm like. He's always great. You guys just didn't read. He look. Another thing, I think, and I don't know that guy personally, but if I was no, a, no. if I was a guessing man, I'd be saying he's probably a pretty decent human being too. He's yeah. been around that long. That uh, you know, a big part of it's being a good person. Maybe I'm naive, but I, I think it's like the, the secret to the real thing is like be, don't be a dick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that's that's what the advertisement for this episode will be like alan hocko don't don't be a dick that's the episode um yeah. uh in, in closing it out alan i enjoyed having the conversation with you but if you don't mind just having a, a maybe one or two christmas related questions here w- what are some like christmas traditions or something that you have uh, like you keep doing around christmas time that you're like regardless how stupid it is how silly it could be 
you're going to be like, I'm doing it because of this tradition. The big one that I find interesting is the new, the new old tradition of Tibbs Eve being like a thing. It's like there's a, a real growing tradition among all of St. John's, really, that Tibbs Eve is like the day to party, and it's yeah. a daytime party, and it's like not a nighttime party, and it's like everybody... So some of my friends go out shopping together. I don't go with them because I hate shopping, but they go shopping, and then we all meet after they're done, and we, we go have some beer and stuff, or someone has a party or whatever. That's a new one that I... Remember hearing about as a kid, oh, Tibbs Eve, Tibbs Eve, and then it kind of was not big when we were kids, but then now it's become this like super cool adult fun thing to do. We were never, our tradition of like gift giving is like very confusing. My wife and I have, are like one of the, the two of the only families in Newfoundland that always open their gifts on Christmas Eve. So I have two family conflicts where, so it's a tradition I got going. I got to get to two houses, my sister's and my, it's like that. That, that's fair. I, I feel like I want to open my gifts on Christmas Eve, but people won't let me. I, I mean, when I was younger, they allowed you to open one, but yeah. now it's almost like... I don't know why I, don't know, I, I do it. I don't know. Yeah. Santa Claus would always give us something in the morning, but then there would be like... But all of the family gifts, we would exchange it Christmas Eve night, which was super sweet, actually. Yes. Yeah, It gets, it's almost like a preamp. It's almost like, like when you have... Uh, the pre-Super Bowl or like when they build up the Super Bowl you're like this is the pre-Christmas where you're like yeah you're like okay it's it's here we're exchanging gifts that means like it's on its way it's definitely we're in the season that's gonna do it for this episode of Tobin Tonight our thanks to Alan Hocko for coming on to the show Remember, you can find past, present, and future episodes on TobinTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob Sane. Thanks for listening, and good night. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.